And let's see here, let's get this back up. <clears throat> In Mark 11 and 12, I, I, I don't know if you need to turn there, but if you wanted to kind of have a reference, this is, this is a section of the Bible where Jesus deals um, with a lot of these, these religious groups kind of back to back to back. He deals with the Pharisees, the Herodians, the teachers of the law. Um, he deals with, with all these groups right in a row. And, and I thought initially that I was going to kind of go through this, the, these, two, these two chapters, and then the teaching kind of took a, a separate turn. But if you wanted to kind of go back in light of today's, what you'll learn today about these different religious groups, if you wanted to go back and look at that, this would be a great, the end of Mark chapter 11, pretty much all of chapter 12 are about these two, about all these different religious groups. What I want to do this morning is I want to use, um, I kind of want to use our church uh, as a metaphor, as like a little bit of a parallel to, to explain these religious groups. Johnny, how are we doing this morning? You snuck in kind of late. It's good to see you. All right, well, it's good to see you. I'm glad you're here. Okay. Yeah, keep that bike safe. And we're happy that you're here this morning, Johnny. And if you need some more coffee, there's some coffee outside for you if you want a little coffee, okay? So let me use our church as a metaphor because let's go back maybe a year and a half, say two years. Here's a picture from our ninth anniversary. Uh, if you guys remember this, our ninth anniversary. And about, you know, a year and a half, two years ago, kind of, we, we had our Sunday gatherings um, we had this big church anniversary um, picnic. Look at this. Look at these questionable um, hygiene standards. I mean, could you imagine doing these sorts of things now in light that we would all use the same spoon to put food on our plate, that we would go over and serve elderly people snacks that were prepared by hands? Um, but we, we, had, uh, we as a church had some amazing, amazing things happen. Look at that waffle breakfast that was going on. Um, and then we would have Bible study in our house, and we would gather together in a small room and sing out at the top of our lungs. Could you imagine the droplets that were coming out of our mouths at that time? Um, and then we, had, we did these, these uh, activities in the park. This is the bike decoration. That's such a big thing for us. And you know, back when we had concerts in the park and I would make balloons and hand them out to all the little kids. And then at one point, you know, at one point this, this church got a little bit interrupted. And here was, here was the cause of the interruption as we've all come to know this. This is the official, the official diagram of the coronavirus, right? Our church gets interrupted, right? Um, this pandemic kind of marches in and it shuts our church down to a, to a single internet trickle. And here's a picture, kind of during that time, this was church, right? This would have been my iPad with my notes on it. This would have been my homemade, you know, as we would do communion virtually through the internet. And I would kind of just preach to the computer for the time being. This was, you know, this, the, the, the church shut down to a single internet trickle. Now, as the metaphor continues, in the middle of this, in the middle of this, this church shutdown, the, the, the pastor dies. Rest, rest in peace. Um, wait, that's the wrong one. There we go. That's better. 
<laughs> the pastor dies, right? And there is this massive hole in the church, right? The church then starts to reconvene. And the question then becomes, how does the church move forward? In which way do we kind of organize ourselves? In which way do we continue the essence of the church moving forward, right? So you have all these different people groups. We have all these different groups in the church that are organizing, that are trying to figure out how to do um, and how to move forward uh, and how to continue this church on without Eric, right? Without the... So you have first off, and maybe as I kind of describe these, you'll remember this, uh, as, or you'll have some kind of context in what Rob said. I'm going to call you guys the sophisticated. Now, the sophisticated, where did my keys go? Somebody steal my keys? Well, now. I'm going to hook it back up to mine. Okay. <laughs> okay, you, the sophisticated, had, um, I was going to make you guys the sophisticated. Phil, you're going to be my sophisticated folks. You and your wife, you guys are going to be the sophisticated. Brian's also included in the sophisticated, but you're, you're a little bit out of the realm. You guys had access to the Bibles, right? So you guys control kind of the Bibles. Now, also, if I had the keys, I'd give you the keys because you guys would have the keys to the building, Right? Somehow, in, in, the, in the aftermath of me passing away, you got a hold of the keys. Not only did you, is the key for the building, but on that set of keys, wherever that might be at the moment, is the key to the offering box, right? So not only do you have the keys to the building, I'm not trusting you with the money, I'm going to trust your wife. <laughs> you have the keys to the offering box, right? And what you guys do, and you guys right here, you five, you're like, we're the sophisticated, we're the powerful, we're the, we know how to run this church. Um, you guys not only have the keys to the building, um, you have alliances with the city because you want to keep control of the building, right? So you're, you're buddying up with Steve Jones and like saying, hell yeah, we, we're doing all these great things. You guys are um, using the money in the offering box to keep this building nice. You guys, one of the first things you did was buy a fog machine for Brian so that way when Brian played music, right? the fog machine would turn on and Brian just, when you hit that, that C chord, that C E minor progression, man, with the fog machine, Phil, <laughs> Phil used a good portion of the money. Cause he's like, man, we got to build a stage in this thing. Right? So he built a big stage so the pastor could stand up higher. You've, you've, you've put new carpet in comfier seats, right? Because you guys are concerned that everybody's coming back into this building. You guys are sophisticated. You're here. You want everybody here. Right now, let's see here who's next. Is we got the serious, okay? I'm gonna make you guys right here the serious, okay? You guys are the serious. You guys have the Bibles. Who's got you got a Bible over there? Who's got a Bible? Hold your Bible up. So you have access to the Bible, you're serious about the Bible, you love the Bible, but not only do you have the Bible, you guys have you guys have Eric's prized possession sermon notes, okay? This was just from this morning's sermon, which is pretty impressive that this was all. These are, these are my sermon notes from sermons over the years, okay? So you have my sermon notes, which you love to study and you love to apply to your lives. 
And you, you think that those sermon notes are just at almost as important as the Bible itself, right? Those are, those are treasures. And you would, you would take those sermon notes and you would study those sermon notes and you would say, but the, the way that Eric talked about that, that particular text, do you remember that almost at one of that last sermons that he did when he was using the whiteboard and he was talking about how to be more like Jesus and, and he was like saying, you know, th- these are things that we can do to be more like Jesus. And then you would go around and you would ask people and say, are you doing that? Are you being more like Jesus, right? Um, you know, you would go to Phil and say, Phil, what are you sacrificing, right? You would go to Eric and be like, hey, Eric, are you judging people? Are you still doing that? And you were really, really strict on this. And, and so you would have this strict application and you would separate yourselves and you would divide yourselves based on how strictly, not only were you following the Bible, but you were also following the sermon notes on the Bible, the Mishnah, right, Rob? Now, again, as, as Rob talked about, you were super excited about Second Sunday about our home groups because you guys don't have keys to the building. You guys don't have access to the building. So you have to find different ways to kind of sway your influence over the church. So you were really um, focused on home groups, on Second Sundays, on home Bible studies to kind of get into people's homes, talk to them, quiz them on the Bible, make sure that they're studying it to see how they're doing um, with, with all that stuff. Now, the next group over here, and I'll just call you guys over here, you guys are, you guys are the soldiers. And one of the things, we don't have boys, so this is the best I have for a gun, okay? <laughs> one of the things that you guys love to do before I get to the whole gun part is you love to wake up in the morning and just get fired up by listening to Rage Against the Machine because that's just how you guys, you guys get fired up, right? And then also, you guys have, um, when, I was in, when I was in high school, I probably listened to a lot of that band. Um, you guys, soldiers, you guys are part, you guys are the ones that were sitting out front here just a couple weeks ago. You were in the Recall Newsom campaign. You guys can't wait to recall him. You are so furious at, at Newsom because he was the governor that shut down the churches, Right? He, he put an end to the churches. As a matter of fact, if Newsom wouldn't have shut down the churches, Eric probably still would have been alive. He probably would still be with us today. But because of Newsom, so you're, you're recalling him, you're phone banking right now, getting all those, hey, are, you know, November's coming. Are you going to vote to recall? Are you going to vote for another, right? Um, you have stockpiled your guns and ammo, right? That's, your, that's the whole gun, little gun metaphor right there. Um, because you know that it's only a matter of time that California is going to divide in two. We are going to have the purists, the real Californians down here in the south in Orange County. And then all those liberal Democrats that are ruining the state up north. And we are going to separate. And we're ready for that separation. We are ready for that fight. We are ready for that battle. You, as a matter of fact, you soldiers... You're not giving any money to the offering box. You know why? Because the church is a 501c3, and they are registered with the state of California and the federal government, and there is no way that you would donate any money to that offering box when the state has any sort of access over it. Dietrich, you would make a good soldier. I'm pretty sure of that. Um, Johnny, you too. Last group. 
The supporters. I don't have anything. You guys are going to be my supporters, and I don't have anything for you guys. I was, like, going to buy some, like, pro Newsome because you guys are all hail Newsome. Like, Newsome is the man. He, that's all you, you care about. Um, the, the supporters, you kind of have a little bit of an allegiance over here with the serious, right? I mean, the sophisticated, because you, you kind of have this, this love-hate relationship with them. They're, they're in charge of the temple. You kind of have this relationship with the guy who runs the temple, right? But for you guys, it's all about Gavin Newsom. It's all about politics, um, it's, it's about whatever Newsom tells you to do. You're just happy to support what Newsom, Newsom is. All hail Newsom, right? As a matter of fact, if these soldiers get out of line, right, you're happy to report them to the authorities. If you find out that Eric Gunn is collecting too much ammo in his, in his garage, you're happy to call the authorities and say, hey, you know, we got this guy in our church who's got a lot of ammo in his garage. I think it's more than he's allowed to have. Well, you, should, you should check in on him. You're also, you're also working with the serious over here because you want to keep track on that offering box to make sure that what comes in is going to, you know, that the, the church is doing the right thing financially, that, that money's not being manipulated or hidden. So you're kind of watching over that tie, that treasury. Church for you is a little bit of, yeah, church is a little bit of a means to an end. You're here, you're here simply because, yeah, there's some neighborhood people and we can, we can influence these people in the neighborhood. I need to... I need to get this whole church to, to fight the recall, right? Newsom, is, Newsom is, is the king. He's the one who's going to bring us liberation and, and show us the way forward if we would just follow Newsom, right? So into this, into this whole scene as your pastor, again, the pastor's passed away. I'm long gone, right? Into this scene, a new pastor emerges, Right? And here's a picture of this new pastor. There is a picture of Rob. <laughs> there he is. That's the only picture I got of Rob. Look at all Rob's all handsome. We got his glasses on. Into this scene walks a new pastor, right? And this new pastor who's been called by God to lead this church in the way that it was created to function, to really be the body of Christ. Right? Now Let's loop this back to the beginning as we think about our church as this, as this kind of metaphor. For decades and decades and, centu- and, and, and centuries, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, the Jewish religion humming along, man, they were something. They had their land. They had the nation of Israel. They had the promised land. They had the, temp- the temple that was functioning. They had the priests that that would, would take care of, of the sacrifices and, and run the temple. They had the festivals. They had Rosh Hashanah. They had Sukkot. They had Yom Kippur. They had the, the, the festival of um, tabernacles. They had the Torah. They had the written words, the Ten Commandments, the, the words of God, right? But then about, about the year, um, uh, yeah, this is, this is really hard, hard to see, right? There, there, is, there is this kingdom that, that gets split in about the year 900, right? Not too long after that, you have, you have the northern kingdom here, right? The Assyrians kind of come in, and then they, they get exiled at about the year 722. You have the southern kingdom come in, and they get exiled in the year uh, 586, right? And so you have this split, and, and the split not only ends 
um, it not only ends in exile, but again, the, the, the pagans have come in and overrun the land, right? The whole nation of Israel slows down to just a trickle in these foreign lands, right? Just like our church slowed down to just a trickle on the internet. As, these, as, as they start to move back into the, neighbor, back into the neighborhood, back into, into Israel, right? Ezra and Nehemiah, some of these later prophets that you can read about. Um, you have these people fighting for power, fighting for control, fighting for how to lead, this, to, to lead Israel forward. This is what we talked about. The sophisticated, right? The Sadducees had control of the temple. They ran the temple. They were the ones who, um, who owned that temple and they had that love-hate relationship with the Romans because while, while they had the keys to the temple, they didn't own it. The Romans owned it. But they had to keep that kind of finicky relationship. They had that love-hate relationship because the Romans were keeping them under their control. Again, they had the Torah. That was all they wanted, right? That's all they would study. Oh, you're going to the back to get ice cream or what? We do have ice cream. I'll give you some after church too. All right. Um, They had, (laughs) I love this church sometimes. They had the treasury. You guys, the, the, the Sadducees controlled the treasury, right? And they would use that treasury. They would use the money that came in and out of the temple, again, to advantage themselves, to keep themselves in power. Then you had the serious, the Pharisees, right? And the Pharisees, the Pharisees looked at the Torah and, and studied the Torah and, and memorized the Torah. But then they had the Mishnah. The Mishnah was like the oral commentary on the Torah. So, for example, um, the Ten Commandments. Here's a great one of the Ten Commandments. Don't do any work on the Sabbath, right? Well, what does that mean? And so there was all this oral commentary. Some, some teachers of the law would say something. Some would say the other thing. Some would say you can't walk across the street. Some would say you can't cook. Some would say this. Some would say that. So there was kind of this oral tradition that developed alongside of the Torah, alongside of the 613 commandments that were, and then you would study that and you would apply that to your your life, all these different laws that would come out of the Mishnah. And and the way that you applied that, the the strictness that you applied that would separate you, right, Would, would show how serious you are to those around you. Oh, you're just getting some of the old crackers. Whew. I mean, things are tough right now at the church. I'd have to. And then the, the Pharisees, again, Rob, you, you said this. They don't have any, they, they have a minority in the temple, but they're all about the synagogue. They're all about these local Jewish houses of worship that would happen in villages and towns, and they had their influence there. You had, you had the zealots, right? The zealots were the ones that said the pagans, those people running, the Romans, whoever's in charge, those are the problem. And we have to sharpen our swords and lead this nation to liberation. We have to be the ones that will stand up and fight, right? We have to, we have to be that group. Their heroes would have been the Maccabees. You mentioned them at the very, very beginning. The Maccabees were a Jewish revolutionary group that happens about 160 years before Jesus. And, and led, by, led by Judah Maccabee, they come in and they, they defeat the Seleucids. They, they take over the temple again. They cleanse the temple, right? They, they have this, this fresh taking over the temple and they kind of have this brief period of liberation, liberation by the sword, 
by this, this battle, this skirmish, right? So you have these zealots. Remember, one of, one of the disciples that Jesus calls, anybody know the name of the disciple that's a zealot? For a gold star and an ice cream? Huh? Simon, Simon the zealot, right? Jesus has one of these guys in his, uh, in his, as one of his disciples, right? One last group is you have the supporters, the Herodians. Again, Herod is king. They're tattletales. They, 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 they kind of keep an eye on what's happening, and they're just kind of reporting everything up to Herod. They're really a-religious. They're not really a very religious group. Um, and again, the, the interesting thing about this, I thought this was, I think this was from Bible Odyssey as well, too. I don't know if you saw this one. Um, a number of the later Christian writers claimed that the Herodians revered Herod I as the Messiah. And this is not impossible. Herod's rebuilding of the Jerusalem temple may well have led his supporters to see him as a second Solomon, a new son of David, an anointed king of the Davidic line. Supporters of Herod and the dynasty more broadly may have seen rule by Jewish client kings, again, that kind of, those kind of puppet kings, as their best option in the face of the ever-advancing Roman presence in the East. Perhaps those under Herod Antipas hoped that he might be made emperor, right? So again, supporters you over there who love Newsom and support Newsom, you're thinking to yourself, man, if Newsom really just has the power here, he can set things right, right? And that's what they believed. So into this scene, Rob, I'm comparing you this morning to Jesus, <laughs> walks a different sort of a pastor, right? a different sort of a preacher, a different sort of a prophet, right? And he walks into this box, in, into this, into this tinderbox of, of nationalism and um, of nationalism and separation, of zealotry and violence, of conformity and compliance, of greed and governance, and he begins his work amongst all these people groups, against all these, these folks. And he begins proclaiming a, a new way forward, the availability of the kingdom of God right here, right now, in the midst of all that they were going through, right? In the midst of the Roman occupation, in the midst of the Pharisees, in the midst of the Sadducees, in the midst of the zealotry, in the midst of the Herodians, there's another whole group we don't really talk much about. The Essenes, those who have moved out to the desert and said, we're just going to wait. They're going to they're gonna cannibalize themselves. They're all going to destroy themselves. We're going to purify ourselves in the desert and, and God will, will vindicate us in that way. Jesus walks into this, into this tinderbox. Um, I, I was thinking about this. I only have three thoughts about as we kind of, a, a lot of history this morning, a lot of, um, a lot of thoughts about what Jesus was dealing with. Three thoughts came to my mind as I was studying this. Um, man, I, as I was really kind of walking into this and studying this, it made me really, really deeply appreciate the ministry and the mission of Jesus, right? Using this kind of metaphor, comparing Rob to Jesus, you're going to have to live with that one this afternoon, Joanne. <laughs> Um, comparing that, you know, Rob, Rob walks into this church and he's got a couple of people to deal with. He's got Dustin over there who's all fired up for Newsom and he's got Eric Gunn who's, you know, stockpiling ammo and, you know, and you got, um, 
you got these folks over here who got the keys to the building. He's got a small kind of deal. Jesus is dealing with this on a macro scale, right? Hundreds and hundreds of years of Jewish tradition, Torah, ritual, tribes, customs. And he's calling, Jesus is calling the nation of Israel to be to, to be the, the vision that God had originally called him to be in Genesis 12, when God says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that you may be a blessing. And Jesus is, is hearkening all the way back to Abraham and saying, you've become so self-focused, so self-interested, and I'm calling you back to be a blessing in to this world, right? Jesus is so much more. When we think about Jesus, we often think about Jesus as yeah, he kind of wandered around. He had some sermons and some parables. He did a couple healings. He died on the cross and was resurrected. And that's about, and, and now I get forgiven and I get to go to heaven. Jesus was so much more than just a wandering preacher, right? Than just a, just a healer, than just a sin forgiver. Think about the macro nature of Jesus walking into this situation to, to declare the kingdom of God. Right? We talked a couple weeks ago about the incarnation. Why did Jesus come? Right? And we use this, this kind of seven-dimensional, um, the seven-dimensional bullet point, this list, and we really understood what Jesus was trying to do. Jesus did not simply come so that I could feel good and get my sins forgiven and escape to heaven when I die. Right? Jesus on a macro level, walks into the nation of Israel. And he's dealing with the Pharisees. And he's dealing with the Sadducees. And he's dealing with the Herodians. And the Zealots. And the Essenes. And the Romans. And the lay people. And the fishermen. Right? And he's preaching to them. And he's telling them to repent, to turn around. And he's showing them what the law really looks like. You guys who you think you have the Bible and you have it all figured out. I will embody the Bible. I will show you what the Torah actually is about, right? To save humanity and to give his life, right? The religious elite, those who were in charge, wanted to be served, right? You guys had set yourself up on the top of the temple. The, the Sirius had set themselves up at the top of the, of the lay people. We, they're, they're flowing robes and they would walk from house to house. Jesus was the judgment within himself. Jesus gives his life. He's showing that the ways of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Zealots and the Herodians are all dead ends, right? They don't end up working. And then at the very end, again, why did Jesus come? He comes to be king, to pronounce the kingdom of God and to be king. Um, and again, thinking about this in 7D, why did Jesus come? Um, for me, I was studying this. Rob, I don't know if you had this when you were studying this. It made me really, really deeply appreciate the ministry and the mission of Jesus as I thought about the way that he did his ministry in those three years of him being on earth. Um, lessons to consider. Number two, Jesus subverted their agendas and embodied their aspirations, right? All these groups had agendas. The Sadducees controlled the temple. They figured if they could control the temple, they could control the people. That was their agenda, right? And then Jesus would say things like, um, this is from John 2, in the first time when he goes and he, he begins to drive out those buying and selling in the temple, right? Which, again, is a smack to the face of you guys, right? 
Rob walks into Rob walks into this beautiful church that Phil's now built and starts tearing out the seats and kicking over the tables, right? Jesus walks into the temple and says, um, after he's you know done all these things, people are like, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to, to Rob? How dare you walk in? What sign can you? And Rob says, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And then they reply, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed that the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken, right? The Sadducees wanted to control this temple. Jesus came to show that this was the true temple right here, our bodies, right? That the Holy Spirit resides within us. Peter, reflecting on this, come as living stones, and let yourselves be used in building this spiritual temple where you will serve as holy priests to offer spiritual and acceptable sacrifices to God through Christ Jesus, right? The temple, the Pharisees thought that they could control the physical building. Jesus came to show that there was, to subvert that and show that this is the true temple. The Pharisees, to purify and separate through the law. Do all these things, make all these steps, apply Eric's sermons, make sure that you've memorized this, make sure that you do all this. And Jesus says, or, or Paul reflecting on this says that there was a time when some of you were just like that, far from God, right? Paul's talking about all the ways that we were far from God. But now your sins are washed away and you're set apart for God. And he's accepted you because of what the Lord Christ, Jesus Christ the Spirit of God, of our God, have done for you. Let me steal these for a second. You know, you, a lot of you folks have kind of sat in this church for a while and have, have learned and studied. You could, you could memorize this front and back. Where'd, where'd my other Bible go? Yeah, I'm up here to get my Bible. You could memorize this front and back, right? And these, well, this would be a wonderful thing to memorize front and back. It's not like God would say, wow, I'm so much happier with you. I'm so much more pleased with you. you. Wow, you are really, have proven, right? It's what Jesus has done for us already in Christ that matters, right? This stuff that we get to do here is in response to that. This stuff doesn't purify us. It doesn't separate, well, this purifies us, but it doesn't separate us. It doesn't make us more holy, right? It's what Jesus has done for us, his sacrifice that he's made complete. So again, Jesus subverts the Pharisees' agenda. He embodies what it's really all about, is that we are purified and separated by what Jesus has done. Um, The zealots would say, sharpen the sword and get ready for war. This famous passage, right? They, They were ready to battle. And then this famous passage that Paul says in Ephesians 6, right? We all know this passage about putting on the full armor of God. Of, of, of the full armor of God, right? The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, um, feet fitted with readiness. Why? Because our battle isn't against one another, right? You soldiers over there who want to go fight the Romans, who want to go fight Newsom, who want to go fight the liberals or the Democrats, right? You soldiers over there. It's not about that. Our battle, our primary position in battle is in prayer, right? That's where we do our battle, And then the Herodians to compromise and to conform when Paul says 
in Romans 12 too, to stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you. Isn't that such a great line? This is out of the message, I believe. This is how Peterson uh, translates it. Stop imitating the ideals and the opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. Jesus subverts the agendas, embodies their aspirations. The last thing I I was thinking about, there is a little of these religious groups in us all, right? Sometimes we gather together and we think, and we place so much heavy importance on the Sunday service, on the church, on the gathering. And when we think that that is the point of Christianity, that you would come here at a certain time, on a certain day, and that would be how you would be faithful. That would be your faithfulness to God. And when we think that that's the point, just as the the, the Sadducees thought that they had control of the temple, that they had control of all that, and they thought that that was the point of the religion, Jesus walks into it and says, I need you to repent. I need you to turn around. I need you to understand that you are the temple, that everywhere you go, when you walk into your job on Monday morning, when you're replying to emails on Wednesday afternoon, when you are in the grocery store or sitting in traffic, you are the little, literal temple of God moving throughout this world, right? And that is, that is what we're called to be in this world. Um, when we think that we are in some sort of a culture war and we have to purify and separate from, kind of fill in the blank there, right? We have to take those, those crazy Trump supporters, those liberals, those, you know, whatever. When we think about that, we have to repent, right? And again, that kind of goes into the second one. When we want to fight, or the third one, when we want to fight, when we want to battle, when we want to get on Facebook and get in those arguments, right? Those Democrats, those liberals, Republicans, conservatives, those atheists, those homosexuals, those, those enemies, and you can fill in the blank, whoever that is for you. We have to repent. We do our fighting in prayer. And I'll end with this last one too, with, with, with those, those Herodians conforming to the government. I'll, I'll tell you a little story on this one. Um, let me see how I'll start this. I have one regret as I've thought about the past year, year and a half. When the initial orders came for, for everything to shut down, right? And that, was, that would have been like, what, March? Was it March 14th, March 15th, March 15th? When those initial orders came and, and everybody just kind of, I think was a little shell-shocked and everybody just kind of did, did what the government said, right? One of my regrets in that moment is that I didn't, I didn't, assume a posture of prayer and listening to God to ask what he might have our church do and be. Instead, I snapped and conformed to what the government said. Now, in hindsight, that might have been wisdom that we just snapped and shut down and that might have been the smart thing to do. Um, In hindsight, perhaps God had a different word for us during that season. 
Perhaps if I would have sat down and, and, and listened to the Lord and say, God, and called to the, called the church, not just me, like as the holy man listening, called the church to say, what are we to be in this time? How are we to organize? How are we to move forward? And really seek the Lord and ask the Lord, God, what do you want us to do? And maybe God has something different for us to do, right? Maybe God had some sort of creative third way that he wanted to show us. Maybe there was something, a different path that we would have taken. Again, I've said this a couple of times, but that whole online kind of business of church, man, that was really, really a difficult moment for my soul. And um, I, I, I do regret that oftentimes um, in those moments, in, in that moment, I didn't, I didn't take that time to say, God, what is it? Where are we going to move? What's next? What's forward? Because again, as I've said as a pastor, just listening, hearing the voice of God, God leading us is the most important thing that we can do in this church. Um, so to think about the, these, these little pieces of this groups in each one of our hearts, um, and again, that, that pastor, right? That Jewish rabbi walks in and says, I know what it's like, and I'm going to show you the real way. So, you guys head out to the park? Let me say a word of prayer, and let's just do a few minutes of discussions. Uh, just to kind of wrap this up. Again, Jesus, the, the real, really for me, the biggest takeaway when I was really studying this and thinking about this, and I, I hope that you're spoke, you've spoken to folks in, in different ways. I just, I, just, I, loved, I just loved you more. I did. I, I just appreciated you more. I cherished you more. I just valued you more. I, I thought about the depth and the complexity of your mission, of your ministry, of the way that you navigated these different groups. Of, of all the ways that you were working to advance your kingdom. Um, it was humbling. To, it was really humbling to me. And again, it just made me fall in love with you just in a deeper way. I hope that that was conveyed this morning through Rob and, and through myself. Um, just how much we have in you, how, how much we have in, in your ministry and your mission and the way that you were able to work through all these folks to really call them to the kingdom, to that original, that original voice when you said to Abraham, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. Help us to think about that this morning, Lord. And as we enter a little bit of discussion time, um, kind of solidify some thoughts, ideas, concepts, and let us, uh, let us, let us worship you through that. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yeah, just a few minutes here. Uh, what did you learn to appreciate about Jesus uh, this morning, and how does that affect the way you live in this world? So maybe, again, you, something, something new you appreciate about Jesus. Again, where do you see the, the Sadducees, the control issue in you, the Pharisees, this idea to separate, the zealots always wanting to fight, the Herodians to compromise. Where do you see that in you? Can you give an example of that? And again, what might Jesus be trying to speak to you as he walks into your life? Just as Jesus walked onto that, that scene in, in Jerusalem, what might he 
um, kind of be speaking to you as he walks into your life. Good?